All righty. Now, this, this is session 11, and um, wow, we're just moving right along through the book of Revelation. And uh, how many of you can say this has been a blessed series, though it has been somber. It's, been, it's blessed you. Amen. Well, that was five of you. Let me see. All right. You know, Jesus rebuked the people of his time, and he said, you know, you, you can tell by the sky uh, if it's going to rain, if it's going to shine. But you cannot understand the signs of the times. And it was a rebuke from Jesus that they did not understand the times they lived in, prophetically speaking. Now, if anybody ought not be in the dark, it's the church. The church should not be in the dark. We ought to be in the light. Uh, we, ought to, we ought to understand, at least generally, what the Bible says about our day, the end times. Now, last time we closed with a pouring out of the first of the seven bowls of the judgment of God. And it, it resulted in, it's kind of gross, but this is what it says, it resulted in horrible malignant sores on the Christ-rejecting population of the tribulation. So something is happening to me um, when I read that. It, it's ecological. It's, it has to do with uh, the ozone layer being depleted. But this is one of the things that, that God pours out on those who have rejected his son, hated his son, and continued in their godlessness. God's tribulation judgments, I was thinking about it this week, they really do hearken back to the plagues he visited upon Egypt in Moses' day in their somber severity because they are severe judgments. Now, as we begin Re Revelations chapter 16, we've so far seen 15 judgments. And here they are, the seven seal judgments, the seven uh, trumpet judgments, and we looked last time at the first of seven bowl judgments, and that's 15 judgments so far. And um, during this awful time of God's poured out wrath, it is always amazing to me that still the God of mercy is reaching out to people because we've got 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams covering the globe, preaching the gospel, while all of this judgment is falling, God is still offering mercy. And that's why James wrote, mercy rejoices over judgment. Amen. And they're bringing in a great harvest. And we find them in heaven after they have been martyred by Antichrist. We find them in heaven and um, singing and worshiping God. Now, during this time also, Antichrist has risen to power after brokering a seven-year peace treaty between the Israelis and, and the Arabs. He will be the one that does it. He will be the one that does it. How many American presidents have we seen try to broker that agreement, bring a peace treaty, and they could not do it? They'd almost get there, and then they couldn't do it. This is the one who will do it. Antichrist will do it. If you were to wake up and see that a peace treaty that is seven years in length has been signed between Jews and Arabs, Lift up your head. Now, in the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, though God's judgments are falling, the world, including the Jewish people, have placed their faith in Antichrist. They have rejected the real Christ, and God said in 1 Thessalonians, I'm going to send them, because of that, a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, the lie not a lie, but the definite article, the, the lie, is Antichrist, the great 
delusion, the deceiver. But we saw that their trust in him is shattered. When midway through the tribulation, he goes into the rebuilt temple and declares himself to be God. And when he does, this is the divine trigger to enter into the second half of the tribulation period. And intense persecution against Christian and Jew is released the day that he goes in and says, I am God, you will worship me, you will not worship any other. He tells the, the Jewish people, shut down your sacrificial systems. He says to the Christians that are alive in the world in that day, you will not worship Christ, you will worship me. And if you do not, you will pay for it with your life. I will track you. And it's sure not hard to see how tracking can happen now. Everywhere you go with your iPhone, you're tracked. That iPhone's a tracker. It's true. They can find you. They can isolate you. So if you're ever on the run, ditch that thing. <laughs> Throw it in the creek. That's free. I hope you're on the, on the run for a good reason. But that's true. It's amazing. They can track you now. You're trackable in so many different ways. But the real tracker will be when the chip is in your left hand or, or in your hand or in your forehead. That'll be the real tracker. And they'll be able to track you with that. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Now, um, when he says, I am God, you must worship me, this signals the second half of the tribulation period. It will happen three and a half years in with three and a half years left. Many are going to be martyred during this final three and a half years. The remaining bold judgments we're about to study are poured out during this terrible three, remaining three and a half year time period. So let's look at the bold judgments, and it's kind of, it's, it's grim, I admit, but it shows you that sin is so serious, and rejecting the grace of God never ends well. So next, the second bowl is poured out. Now, if you're in your book, it's on page 102 where I am, page 102, and I'm in Revelation chapter 16, and I'm about to read verse 3. So turn to 102 in the book. And if you don't have the book, but you've got a Bible, turn to Revelation 16, verse 3. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and everything in the sea died. That breaks my heart. Wow. Now, when the second angel pours out his vial on the oceans, they undergo a complete change of chemical composition. Whereas... In the earlier trumpet judgment, only a third of the seas were affected. This bold judgment brings, tragically, total destruction to the oceans and all marine life. Now, if you love the creation of God like I do, I don't love it more than God, but everywhere I look, I see what God has made. And, and I'm constantly amazed by it, just the, the genius of Creator God. And if you appreciate that creation, and you're always attributing it to him and thanking him for what you see, it's hard to read these things. Because I don't want to see the ecology ruined. I don't want to see all marine life die. I have to keep in mind that a new world is coming. Okay? So keep that in mind as we go through these. Then the third bowl is poured out. Revelation 16, verse 4. Then the angel, the third angel, poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs, and they became 
blood. So here's water being turned to blood again. Can anybody say Moses time? I mean, here we are. Now the rivers and springs have now been struck and all turned to blood. Now the difference between these rivers and springs and the ocean is the rivers and springs are the source of fresh water. We don't drink ocean water. We love to play in the ocean, but we don't drink it. But here now, the, the source of fresh water is being struck by the judgment of God. As this happens, the angel of the waters proclaims the justice, almost as if we needed to be reassured of this at this point in the game. He proclaims the justice of this awful judgment. Since multiplied millions of saints and prophets have shed their blood for the truth throughout the centuries, God is now releasing judgment in response to all that martyrdom. God cares about his kids. God watches when you're abused, when you're wronged, when you're persecuted for doing what is right. God marks it down. And it's scary. You know, Saturday Night Live, I didn't see it. I don't watch it, but I read about it. That just last Saturday night, they did some skit that mocked Christianity, mocked Christ. And every time these so-called comedians and comedians do this, I, I think of these verses, verses like these, that you're going to answer for every idle word you spoke. And every word you spoke against God's Christ, you're going to be brought to answer for it. So when I talk about Jesus, it's with high, worshipful respect. Amen. Amen. Don't use his name in vain. High respect. We must keep in mind here that God's judgments are always justified. When God decides to judge, you can know it's right, even though it may not look right to your natural mind. As Abraham said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? It's a rhetorical question. Yes, he will always do right. The Christ-rejecting, godless world of the tribulation is only receiving the judgments they have brought upon themselves following countless warnings. Look at Revelation 16, verse 5. And I heard the angel who had authority over all waters saying, You are just, O Holy One, who is and who always was, because you have sent these judgments. So who has sent these judgments? And? Jesus. Now look at verse 6. Since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, you have given them blood to drink. Ooh. It is their, say it with me, just reward. And I heard a voice from the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and they are just, meaning justified. So wow, God's people right now are experiencing a genocide in the Middle East. Christians are being executed, an intentional genocide by ISIS. Militant, radical, Islamic terrorists. And they are literally trying to wipe out Christians from Iran, Iraq, other parts of the Middle East. And they're killing them just because they say, I believe in Christ and not Muhammad. Those people are going, their spirits are going straight to heaven. We find them under that altar, and they're saying, How long, Lord, before our blood is avenged? And now here in 16, verse 5, we're reading 
when it is avenged. Then the fourth bowl is poured out. Verses 8 and 9, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. The power was given to him to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat. And what did they do under this judgment? Read it with me. What did they do? Read it out loud. This amazes me. And they blasphemed the name of God. You would think you'd hit your face and repent. But no. They blasphemed not just God, but his name, who has power over these plagues. And they did not, read it with me, they did not repent and give him glory. No wonder they're under judgment. Look at them. It's stunning to see the hard-heartedness of last day's mankind. Uh, John observes that though they know these calamities are the judgments of God, they know it's the judgment of God, they still refuse to repent. I mean, that's hard-hearted as in stuck on stupid. Okay? That's like, that's like a little kid who's being so stubborn, major stubborn to his own hurt. You're saying, I don't care what you do to me, I'm not going to repent. It's crazy. It's insane. It's insane. These first four bold judgments are devastatingly successful, universal in their destruction of earth's ecology. And let me give you a quick summary of them one more time. And just remember, a better day is coming, but, but it's darkest before the dawn. Here it is. In these four bold judgments, the entire unsaved human race is smitten with cancerous sores. All of the oceans are totally destroyed along with all marine life. All of the natural springs providing fresh water are destroyed. And the ozone layer apparently is obliterated, which might explain the skin cancers. It doesn't pay to reject the grace of God. And there is a God that we are accountable to. Though this could hardly present a more grim picture of the final moments of mankind on earth, we must keep in mind that it is the darkest before the dawn. The Son of God, hallelujah, is soon to return to install a glorious millennial kingdom of peace and righteousness. And before we're done with this series, we're going to look at that millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ, and, and you're going to forget about all this bad stuff in light of what we're going to share about that millennial kingdom. It is on the way. It is at the door. Amen? Amen. But we still have three bowls to go. Now, we're in chapter 10 of the book, and uh, you'll see there the last three bowls. Now, let's talk about them. All the first four bowl judgments might be explained away as natural ecological disasters, the next three bold judgments are such that nobody can blame them on anything but the very hand of God. Here comes the fifth bowl, verse 10, chapter 16. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. You know what you're seeing here? You're seeing, you're seeing Antichrist's kingdom collapsing. Remember, he comes into power, but not for long. He, he rules the day, but God has a short ruler on it. He won't rule for long. And look what it says, those who have believed him and believed in him, look what it says they're doing when this happens. His subjects, the ones with the mark, ground their teeth in anguish. How many of you ever had that problem of grinding your teeth, when you, like when you sleep? Isn't that just fun? 
Can you imagine being under such angst and stress and fear and revelation of, oh, no, we made the wrong decision, that you are just grinding your teeth in anguish. In chapter 17, which is next week, we're going to look more closely at the rise of Antichrist's kingdom. And boy, don't miss next week. There's some things coming out next week going to blow you away. You're going to go, uh-oh, we are closer than I thought. That's next week. But you're, it's good you're here tonight, too. All right. Now, chapter 17 is going to show us the Antichrist kingdom, but John is jumping forward, like we've told you he does sometimes, to give us a preview of how it's going to look towards the end of the world. And the fifth bowl spells the end of Antichrist's brief reign of terror. Apparently, it is here that those who have followed him will realize they've been had. We've been had. We believed an outright lie, but now we got this mark and I can't get it off. They will gnash their teeth in anguish over God's judgment. What a terrible place to be. We also see that the fifth bowl is followed by a strange cosmic darkness possibly caused by dark clouds of interplanetary debris because there's a whole lot of debris being kicked up into the air during these, these days. The world is plunged into a frightening midnight. The fifth bowl especially affects the throne and domain of the Antichrist with this strange darkness. Now the inhabitants of the earth begin to recognize that this is the judgment of God beyond all doubt because in the middle of the day it's like midnight. The kingdom of the Antichrist is coming apart at the seams at this point. When the fifth bowl is poured out, the Antichrist kingdom is collapsing. And, and what do they do? Once again, their rock-like hearts refuse to repent. Instead of turning to God, not only do they curse him, but are you ready? They turn against him. They turn against him. Verse 11, and they curse the God of heaven for their pains and sores, but they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. You know, when, here in our church, when somebody gets sick, they come to the altar and we anoint them with oil and they ask God to heal them. But, but these people, when they experience these sores and this pain, they don't say, oh God, please forgive me. But, but they look up and they curse him and they blaspheme him. Ripe for judgment. Is there anywhere in the Bible, I was trying to think of it, where the wicked heart of men is more prominently displayed than here? The only other place I can think is Pharaoh in the days of the plagues of Moses. When over and over again it says he hardened his heart, hardened his heart, hardened his heart, hardened his heart. But aside from that, I don't know of any other place in the Bible where men's hearts are so hard that they would curse God instead of asking for his help. Now, next, the sixth bowl is poured out. Verse 12, then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. Now, let's don't skip over this. Let's use our sanctified imagination. This literally just told us that when the sixth bowl is poured out, 
It's going to, the, the, the Euphrates River is dried up. And why does he do this? It's simply stated that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Here's what's going to happen. Now we're headed towards the war of Armageddon here. God will make a way for the land armies of the vast eastern Asian continent to surge through the Middle East and route to the land of Israel and the final battle of the great tribulation, which we all know is Armageddon. The enemies of Israel will march against her for one last massive assault against the Jews. This is after I am God, there he is in the temple, Everything changes for the Jews. Now these huge armies, I think it's a 200-million-man army, is headed to Israel to wipe them off the face of the map. And do we not hear echoes of that today? How many times do we hear uh, members of ISIS or al-Qaeda or, or just Islamic leaders say, Israel not only needs to give in, but they need to be obliterated, taken away. They need to be blasted. They need to be destroyed. That's what this army intends to do in the days before the return of Christ. 200 million man army, and they're going to cross where the Euphrates River once flowed. Now, just to make this real to you, remember, the Euphrates River is 1,800 miles long, 750 feet wide, and 30 feet deep. And when, they pour, when that angel pours out that bowl, it dries up. Well, Jeff, how, how can that happen? How did Moses' Red Sea happen? How did it happen when Joshua and the children of Israel crossed the Jordan? God likes drying things up. <laughs> Bodies of water. Because he makes a way where there is no way, and I really do believe God delights in being the way maker. But now, even though it's 30 feet deep, 750 feet wide, with one sweep of God's hand, it becomes dry ground. And this massive army, they're sitting there going, wow, fate is on our side. But no, God's about to destroy you. He's making a way for your own destruction. Now, how will this happen? I don't know. It's anybody's guess. But it's an amazing prediction, and I guarantee you it will happen, just like God said. Now, these kings of the East are no doubt going to include the hordes of China and India, which are beyond the river Euphrates to the east. I've been to both places, India and China. And we cannot omit the Muslim nations. <laughs> we dare not omit the Muslim nations of Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, and Iraq. In this end-time scenario, God is bringing the forces of Satan across the dry riverbed to be utterly destroyed by none other than a returning Jesus Christ who will be followed by his heavenly forces, including the redeemed church. Now, now I'm going to tell you something. You may say, Jeff, you're, you're nuts. You're crazy for saying that. Let me tell you, you're going to see this because you're going to be there when he returns. It said so right here. And if you don't believe John, let me read a couple of other prophets. Prophet Zechariah also foresaw this amazing event. He writes in 14 verse 5, Thus the Lord my God will come. And what? Read it with me. All the saints with you. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. Now let's read uh, Jude. Jude quotes the Old Testament saint Enoch, who foresaw exactly the same thing. Quote, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, behold, the Lord comes with who? 
ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all. This is talking about when Jesus stops, dramatically stops the war of Armageddon before all flesh is wiped out on planet earth. And he returns with his saints. Notice in the next verse, we've got a satanic trinity described by John. Verse 13, I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of, watch this, the dragon. Who's the dragon? The devil. The beast. Who's that? Come on, students. And the false prophet is the false prophet. But remember, the dragon is always the devil. The beast is always the Antichrist and the false prophet. There you've got a satanic trinity. Satan, his Antichrist, and his false prophet. Now, that's a bad picture. Somebody's talking and and frogs are coming out. Yuck. Why frogs? I'll tell you why. Because frogs symbolize filth and dirt to the ancients. They didn't eat frog legs. The frogs John sees are evil spirits. Watch this, evil spirits that are energizing the unclean words of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. You know, I've mentioned, I think on a couple of Sundays, how, how often things in our world that we can see, hear, taste, touch, and smell are affected by the world we can't see. Right? There, there is a world we cannot capture with the lens of our eye. It's the spirit world. And the thing that's so powerful about the Revelation is, in the Revelation, John, really, Jesus removes the veil for John. He looks past the veil, the natural world, and he sees all of this amazing supernatural activity acting upon the world we can see. So he sees angels all the time, cherubim, seraphim, the spirits of those who have gone to heaven. He sees them. He sees now here demon spirits that that if you were one of these lost people with with the chip and you're in the tribulation and you're doomed and and, and you're listening to the, the Antichrist and the false prophet speak, you're mesmerized and thinking, wow, they've really got some answers. But John sees behind them a demon spirit energizing their words, causing them to be persuasive and magnetic and compelling and seductive. I mean, I know it's kind of creepy, but folks, believe me, all, all around the atmosphere here, there are spirit beings. They're all over the world. And I like to think there's angels encamped all around this building. Okay? And, and I think one of the great surprises we're going to have when we get to heaven is he's going to show us how often an angel saved your skin. And you didn't see him. You just said, whoo, that was close. But it says that he sends his angels as ministers to those who are to be heirs of salvation. But you don't see them. Okay? Now, these demonic spirits, speaking through the mouths of this satanic trinity, perform supernatural, satanically inspired miracles through the hands of primarily the false prophet. So not all magic 
is contrived. That's why you should never fool with something like a Ouija board. You say, oh, yeah, I just, uh, you know, come on, that's just plaything. No, because, listen, he's telling us right here in verse 14 that some of the miracles that take place that are clearly of supernatural origin are not from God. But, but they're miracles wrought by the other world, things that defy natural law. So if you've got a Ouija board in your house, don't leave right now, but as soon as church is over, run home and burn that thing. Because th- there are portals that open us up into a world. Like, you know, I don't mean to go here, but d- do you know what they're building in New York City? They're building a genuine temple to Baal in New York City to replicate, to reproduce what ISIS destroyed in the Middle East. So the, 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 the leadership of New York City, they're going to rebuild a temple to Baal in New York City. Times Square. And do you know that Baalism is the whole reason? I don't mean to digress, but let me digress. <laughs> do you know that Baalism is the reason that Israel was sent into judgment for 70 years. It's the reason that over and over again, God said, you are spiritual adulterers and adulteresses. And we're going to look at that in a moment. But Baalism is when they would sacrifice children into the red-hot hands of Molech, which was attached to Baalism. It was Baalism that caused Elijah to call fire down from heaven. And it's why he went and executed 400 prophets of Baal because it was a wicked, demonic, idolatrous system, and they're building a temple to Baal in Times Square. Just another sign that our nation has way lost its way. Now, I want you to remember, these demonic spirits are speaking through them, and then miracles are performed. By whom? Well, while the Antichrist is a political ruler, the false prophet will be a religious leader. And they will be an evil dynamic duo. And so while the Antichrist is rising in the political sphere and comes to a place of ruling most of the world politically, the false prophet will be a religious leader pointing to him, turning the people's faith to him. And this false prophet is the one that does these miracles. Zechariah says in chapter 14, verse 2, I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses looted, and the women ravaged. Now notice it is God who says, I will gather all the nations. Can you say with me, God's in charge? He does this so that he can reveal his glory when he intervenes on behalf of Israel, which we're going to see him doing as we reach the end of this book. Now next we see that in the midst of these final moments in history, God makes a final appeal to the end-time believers to hang on. It's soon going to be over. Verse 15, look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. Now, the clothing mentioned refers to their personal walk with Christ, the robe of righteousness that only he can put on you. He's about to return And they don't want to be ashamed upon his appearance. Now, finally, the seventh bowl is poured out. Verses 16 and 17. Here's the last one of 21 judgments. And the demonic spirits gathered together. I'm reading the Bible here. The demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place 
with the Hebrew name Armageddon. Now notice, who gathered them there? Demonic spirits. But who's in control of those? God. Then when they're gathered at Armageddon, the valley of Megiddo, then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple, saying, say it with me, it is finished. Who said that? On the cross, right? So here it is, it is finished. And with this final bowl, the thumos, that's the Greek word for hot fury, the hot fury of God is now complete. Startling signs immediately follow the pouring out of this bowl. Quote, verse 18, Then the thunder crashed and rolled, and lightning flashed, and a great earthquake struck, the worst since people were placed on the earth. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Of all the horrific earthquakes we've seen, major ones, to ever strike earth, this is the worst in the history of the world. This earthquake will not be measurable by the Richter scale. It literally rips Jerusalem into three parts and impacts the entire world. Now, in your book, in verse 19, I think it's a a, a little bit of a mistake. The whole verse isn't there. I'm going to read the whole verse, and you can just go home and look up the whole verse, and when we reprint this, it'll be right. But you still have a very good book in your hands. But here's verse 19. Now, the great city, that being Jerusalem, was divided into three parts. And listen to these words. The cities of all the nations fell. And great Babylon, there's Babylon again, was remembered before God to give her the cup of the winds of the fierceness of his wrath. Catch this, everybody. This earthquake is going to cause cities all over the world to crumble like a house of cards. The worst earthquake in the history of the world. It will not be local. It will be global. And suddenly, here's Babylon jumping back into the picture. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine, the fierceness of his wrath. Now, as I've already mentioned, when we get to chapter 17 and 18, I'm going to tell you way more about Babylon, and it's powerful. But John's description of the effects of this mammoth earthquake continue. He's watching all this. Like God is giving him a movie And he sees it, verse 20, is this real? Can this be real? Every island disappeared by Hawaii, Maui, every island. Am I reading it right? Is that what you see? Every island disappeared. And what? All the mountains were what? Level. This is an earthquake of all earthquakes. This earthquake, possibly the consequence of a nuclear blast, we don't know, decimates the islands of the sea, perhaps through multiple tsunamis. That may be why they disappear, because a tsunami is sweeping over them. But I've learned if the Word of God says it, it will happen. It will be. And I've also learned God does not embellish. He does not use hyperbole. He is not stretching the truth. When he says every island is going to disappear and every mountain is going to be level, that's exactly what's going to happen. This is not metaphorical language. And this awesome quake brings all mountains down. Now, 
John observes something incredible here. Verse 21, and great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone the weight of a talent. Now, we're used to hail around here, and every time there's hail, what do we do? We turn on the radio, and we hear this. It was marble-sized. It was golf ball-sized. It was, and if they, know it's, if they think it's going to be baseball-sized, they tell you, run for the hills, get undercover, because this is deadly hail, baseball size. You know what a talent weighs? A hundred pounds. That means hail the size of a basketball is going to pummel the earth. Tell me where you're going to run and hide. The only safe place would be in some cave in the mountains. Now, let me just give you a little retrospect or a little perspective here. Though this seems impossible, history tells us that in the aftermath of World War II, Atomic devices were set off, causing the ocean waters to rise 30 to 60,000 feet. Did you hear that? They were set off, and it caused the ocean waters to go 30 to 60,000 feet in the air. When the boiling water began to fall back down, it created hail the size of basketballs. This hail was so huge and deadly. It damaged the ships placed in the lagoons, denting the ship's armor. So is this over a nuclear blast? We don't know. It doesn't matter. God says it, so it'll happen. The 21 horrific tribulation judgments we've explored are definitely punitive, and they are not rehabilitative. They're not interested in rehabilitation here. They are beyond rehabilitation. This is pure, punitive judgment. John yet again points out an unrepentant mankind continuing to shake its fist at God. Verse 21, men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Oh, I think so. Hail the size of basketballs would ruin, destroy this building. Here it is. It's in the Bible. It's coming. Now, now that the seal trumpet or the seal trumpet and bold judgments are complete, we're about to meet two mysterious characters and we're headed towards the end of tonight's message. It's next week I'm going to have to get into Daniel's prophecy. You forgive me? Okay. Cuz this has been good anyway, right? Even though terrible, it's it's good. It's interesting. So, solving the riddle of the two characters we're about to meet is a real eye-opener. Now we're going to chapter 11 in the book, and you'll see a beast and a harlot. The, now here we go. The apostle John is once again approached by one of the seven angels who reveals a vision that astonishes him. We're now going into Revelation 17, verse 1, uh, first six verses actually. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, we've got two lead characters here, and I'm going to be able to deal with the first one tonight, and then we're done. The first lead character in this vision is a great harlot. Folks, I can't tell you how relevant the great harlot is to us right now. Watch this. 
The fact that the great harlot is sitting on many waters symbolizes a vast worldwide influence. She's sitting on many waters, the waters of the world, the population of the world. This harlot has corrupted, according to John, the entire world. Whoever she is, she has corrupted the entire world. Often in Scripture, harlotry refers to spiritual harlotry, a departure from the true God, or a false apostate religious system. Now follow me. Remember how over and over the prophets of God would stand up and, and talk to the people. It's the constant refrain of the Old Testament prophets. And they would tell Israel and Judah, you better repent from worshiping idols and come back to the true God because you are spiritual adulterers and adulteresses because you have turned from the living God to false gods and you are committing spiritual adultery with them. That's the message. This is what John sees. The harlot, the great harlot, is an apostate religious system that is working in coordination with the Antichrist, I believe totally headed up by this false prophet who is a religious leader. He brings the world religiously to the side of the Antichrist. He, he, he is instrumental in raising up this apostate religious system or church. We've we got to think of Paul's prediction in 1 Timothy 4.1. We all know it, but I'm going to read it to you. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, and it's really the latter days, some will abandon the faith, abandon the faith, and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. They will leave the real faith, abandon it, and follow things taught by demons. That's apostasy. When you've been raised in the real thing and you, do, and you walk away from it, you're an apostate. That's what it means. You've given up on the real God. You're following things taught by demons. You have, you have apostatized. So who is this great harlot? The great harlot is comprised, here it is, of an all-inclusive, corrupted Christianity with apostate Protestantism, Roman Catholicism, and a blend of other false religions that produce one final, last days, phony, vacuous, dead, but real super church. An apostate church. In light of the inroads, New Age mysticism, false feel-good Bible teaching, and other spurious doctrines have infiltrated today's church, it's not at all difficult to imagine this happening. Not at all. We have national, we have national, in quotes, Christian leaders who say on secular talk shows, we will not talk about sin, we will not talk about hell, and we don't know if Jesus is the only way. I could name names, but I don't care to name names because what matters to me is what is said. And there is a movement now. There is a, an apostate movement in our country right now where there's law, all kinds of churches you could go to. You could walk in the doors. They look great. They look impressive, beautiful buildings, all kinds of money, full of people. But if you listen to what is being taught, it's, 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 it's like a, 
It's like a motivational seminar on steroids. It has nothing to do with the blood, with heaven, with hell, with Christ being the the only way, with you must repent or you will be lost. None of that. You'll never hear it. Sit there for years and you won't hear it. That That is the shadow of things to come. This apostate super church headed up by the false prophet that helps promote and exalt Antichrist will look right, it'll seem right, it'll be so impressive, it'll be impressive, magnetic, charismatic, intelligent, educated people at the helm. But they will not teach the faith once delivered to the saints. And we're already there. It's happening in the West right now, everywhere. You know how rare it is? And and I'm not patting myself on the back here. Listen, I'm a product of the mercy of God and the grace of God. But do you know how unusual it is for you to be able to come to a church where somebody talks about hell and heaven and one way and you must repent and sin is real and sin kills and Christ is the only way to be freed of sin and forgiven by sin? Do you, do you know that that's becoming more and more rare? Because everything slowly but surely, incrementally over time is leading up to this apostate super church that is going to cause the whole world to commit spiritual adultery against God. Tons of people, Paul said it, will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. In another place, Paul talked about having a form of godliness. It looks godly, but they deny the power thereof. The last days, Harlot Church is going to look good on the outside, but it's going to be totally corrupt on the inside, and Antichrist will place his approval on and support it because he doesn't have to worry about it because they don't preach the blood. Hence, the Harlot Church is in league with the Antichrist, and John is going to introduce us to him next, and I'm closing for the night. Next time, Daniel's amazing end times vision, and we're going to look at the European Union and a seat that is empty, and that's all I'm going to tell you about it. Let's stand together, can we? How many of you are glad you came to church tonight? Amen? And listen, don't ever get out of a church, or let me put it this way, never go into a church that doesn't preach the blood, that doesn't preach Christ, that the Bible is the Word of God, that there is a heaven, there is a hell, and only one way to get to heaven is through the only begotten Son of God. Don't ever go to a church that doesn't preach that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's lift our hands and let's thank God. Lord, we just thank you right now that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God and you sent your Son to die for us on the cross. And on the third day, he rose again bodily, and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God, ever living to make intercession for us. And he is coming again soon. And we thank you for that, Lord. 